everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. We are 100% sponsor-based, which means that all the revenues we derive come from sponsorships. But I try to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically trying to choose those who have values well aligned to the values expressed on the show, like freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do is a few ad reads right here at the top of the show and then a few ad, ad reads in the middle. And I hope you won't skip them. I hope you'll take the time, listen and see what they have to offer, because again, these are hand selected sponsors. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Ledin. Ledin lets you do more with your digital assets. For instance, Ledin offers a B2X loan product that lets you leverage your existing Bitcoin to buy even more Bitcoin. Or you can also get traditional Bitcoin collateralized US dollar loans through Ledin as well. Ledin also offers both Bitcoin and USDC denominated savings accounts, letting you generate yield on your digital assets. Recently, Ledin has launched a Bitcoin mortgage product as well that lets you use Bitcoin to buy a home or finance one that you already own. So go to Ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io today to sign up. The principle of radical transparency. I'll read a excerpt here from Ray's book. He writes, by radical transparency... I mean giving most everyone the ability to see most everything, unquote. So in free market capitalism, we have three pillars, if you will, or cornerstones, whatever, three main structural elements. We have the rule of law. Rule of law lets us resolve disputes over assets without violence. Right? We have recourse to a legal framework that can help us resolve our disputes without fighting one another. Second pillar is private property rights. Property is the relationship between owners and their assets. So strong private property rights means we have a high integrity relationship between ourselves and the things that we own. This is critically dependent on and related to the rule of law. If there's a dispute over an asset, then uh, an owner and a someone disputing them can resolve that dispute without violence. And third pillar of free market capitalism is hard money or honest money. And it basically gives us a free market selected monetary technology, which is an accurate conveyor of price signals as we uh, discussed earlier in the principle of radical truth. So, again, I like to always try and explain this through the lens or through the frame of it being a game, right? Because uh, I think most human interactions are game-like. And when you have strong and reliable, predictable, fixed rules in place, entrepreneurs are basically free to play the game, right? You can go out and uh, combine your faculties with whatever you discover in nature, build a business, plant a farm, fix a motorcycle, whatever the thing is, and you can accumulate capital for yourself in the process, right? You can make ends meet. 
Um, you also, any innovations that you discover, right? You, ha you have this incentive to sell those back into the marketplace for profit. Any information you might have that the market doesn't, you have an incentive to sell that into the marketplace for a profit. And um, that game, you know, again, is diffusing those knowledge gains into society through trade, right? Better ideas getting permeated into the world through trade. Uh, and the free market is the system which incentivizes that process. And now, you could imagine a game without rules that are fixed, reliable, uh, predictable. Um, think of a game like poker, where if you set down to play poker and every few hands of play, the hand rankings changed, right? And the hand rankings determine what hand beats another hand, right? It's basically the rules of the game. If that arbitrarily or randomly changed every few hands, uh, or worse yet, if it was just at the whim of the casino, perhaps, right? They just arbitrarily decided which, which hand beats which every few hands. Players would have no sound foundation or no rule, no unshakable rules on which to build a strategy and play the game. And you, you certainly would not remain engaged in that game for long because it wouldn't make any sense, right? And you would you'd do everything you could to exit. You'd want to go and play another game because you can't, you cannot adequately deploy a strategy in a game where the rules are unpredictable. So a problem with the, United, the US dollar, and I'll sweep all fiat currencies under this, but I typically pick on the US dollar because it's the, the best of the worst, is that the US dollar has a, a complete opacity of rules which govern its existence, meaning that no one knows what they are, or at least we don't know what they are. We can't, we can't see into the US dollar system. We can't see into the Federal Reserve system. It's never been audited. They don't disclose the criteria by which they're making decisions. Um, they just have these closed door meetings and, and tell you what happens. So fundamental questions like, how many dollars are there in existence? How many dollars will be issued in the years to come? Who gets to decide how many dollars will be produced? What criteria are they using for deciding how many dollars will be produced? And most importantly, who profits from the money production? We don't even know who the shareholders of central banks actually are profiting uh, via seniorage from money production. And so, and, and this is not there's no, there's nothing mystical here about the U.S. dollar, right? The U.S. dollar is just an SQL database maintained on premise at the Federal Reserve. And that institution could choose to open its records to be audited at any time. And in fact, many people have tried to audit the Fed um, and the Fed has always refused. They've always resisted this, always you know, always under the claim that it would compromise their independence and would therefore be a net negative to society or some bullshit like that. Um, but to the market, you know, again, the market, the system that's trying to overcome individual bias, it's trying to overcome information asymmetry, it's trying to work around all these obstructions, it, it attempts to counterbalance this opacity of the US dollar system 
with an army. There's an army of macroeconomists, analysts, market commentators. They pour over every detail of the statements issued by central banks. And this includes not just their words, but their tone, their nonverbals, their micro expressions, their delivery, even their wardrobes. Like we have thousands of people paid in the financial industry to pour over how Jerome Powell said this thing and what he was wearing when he said it to try and estimate what the next decision on monetary policy will be. I mean, it is, it's absurd to the extreme. Um, and to understand just how absurd it is, imagine if we had some semi-governmental agency that was put in charge of setting prices for automobiles. So, you know, ask any self-proclaimed free market capitalists if they think that's a good idea that some central institution should be setting the prices for automobiles rather than the market. And uh, even suggesting such a, a Soviet style of managing prices is probably going to tell, you know, cause that free market capitalist to tell you to buzz off, right? That doesn't make sense. It's been tried. It doesn't work. It failed. Uh, and they'll, you know, they'll probably tell you a lot of the things I'm telling you here that, hey, the market, it, the market price is where supply and demand intersect. That's where the market needs to clear if you want to avoid shortages or surpluses and all of these other uh, negative consequences like the misallocation of capital, uh, mispricing of risk, overborrowing, etc. Now, if a free market capitalist responds to you in that way, you could very smoothly point out to him, especially if he's an American, that that is exactly what the Federal Reserve does in the biggest market of all, which is the market for money. The Fed sets the pricing of the U.S. dollar, which is the interest rate, and which is also the United States' most valuable export market, by the way, is the U.S. dollar or inflation, depending how you want to look at it. And it does, it sets this pricing based on undisclosed criteria in closed door discussions. So the Federal Reserve is effectively the pricing czar of the U.S. dollar. Right, this is the same thing we saw in Soviet Russia, just applied to a different market space. And indeed, that's why fiat currency is antithetical to free market capitalism. Right? Again, we go back to Mises in the 1940s. He said, the central bank is an anti-capitalistic institution. Uh, we could go back to the 1848 Manifesto to the Communist Party, written by Karl Marx. Measure number five. The state must have an exclusive monopoly on cash and credit. That is a necessary ingredient of Marxist communism. So why do we tolerate this in the United States or anywhere in the free world for that matter? Uh, it's, it's a totally antiquated institution that we've just inherited. And, um, you know, I, I hope that that Bitcoin's emergence and conversations like this is helping put a stop to this nonsense because it just doesn't make any sense. So to bring this back to the principle of radical transparency, there's this old saying that sunlight is the best disinfectant. When everyone can see the criteria and a process behind a decision, they are more likely to deem it trustworthy. Seems pretty straightforward. Now with Bitcoin, 
The algorithm which sets its money supply and issuance schedule is totally transparent, meaning people can universally agree that the system is fair and unbiased. You can literally, you don't need to trust me or believe me. You can go and check the code for yourself. You can audit the code yourself by running your own node. Um, there's Bitcoin is effectively 0% interpersonal trust and 100% verification. So it's verifying everything rather than trusting anyone, whereas the central bank system is the, re the reverse, right? You just trust these few old guys and don't verify anything ever. Like it's completely fucking upside down. So as an open source monetary protocol, Bitcoin is essentially the principle of radical transparency in perpetual action, right? It's just an openly transparent, universally visible and inspectable monetary network. It's all it really is. It's all it's doing. Now, bankers, specifically central bankers, hate this because Bitcoin is basically automating the functions of a central bank. Right? If you thought the, the ATM was a big deal, the automated teller machine, which automated the functions of a bank teller, just wait till you hear about the automated central bank machine that is Bitcoin. It automates all the functions of the thing the whole way up. All the central bank needs to do, or, or, the reason it exists is to maintain monetary policy, that's to control the money supply, it's to reach consensus about account balances, who owns what units of money, all right? People are exchanging every day, and the central bank exists to reconcile those account balances. And part and parcel to that, central banks also facilitate international economic flows, right? So individual central banks are reconciling between one another so that we get this global uh, network of money. Now, Bitcoin automates all those functions. I mean, it, it maintaining monetary policy just adheres to a supply cap of 21 million, uh, reaching consensus to account balances. It's You have, uh, again, all of these nodes and miners checking one another's work all the time. Really, the miners checking one another's work the nodes selecting which version of the software to run for themselves. And then that, that consensus also drives the flow of international, uh, uh, international economic flows and that Bitcoin is non-jurisdictional. You can send it anywhere in the world, any time of day, for any reason whatsoever. Nobody can stop you, interrupt you, uh, censor you, nothing. So that's a whole, a whole other framing on Bitcoin. It's just the automated central bank. Of course the central bank hates that. Uh, for the same reason, candle makers hated light bulbs, right? This is innovation. It just, it eclipses the old technology and the old paradigm. So transparency also gives us, transparency of this degree in money, it gives us restoration of strong property rights. Now, few people realize, and I said this earlier, but I want to say it again, monetary inflation is everywhere and always a direct violation of private property rights. So it's being used to steal from one group and give to another. That's the only thing it can do mechanically. It can't do anything. It can add no equitable benefit to an economy whatsoever. And so that's obviously not just, right? Theft is an injustice. But what we have in the central bank is a legally enforced monopoly on money that is used to perpetrate the theft of inflation ad infinitum. So you have this crazy, oxymoronic, legally enforced injustice. 
which is just terrible. Right? It's terrible for for humanity, for the world economy, for all the reasons we've covered already. And so you could consider that printing money is sort of like amending that list of who owns what, right? If you're taking, you're just adding new dollar, uh, new dollar amounts to one person's balance and not another person's balance. That person can then go and acquire assets with that newly printed money in the world that will increase the nominal price of assets, which then is effectively like stealing wealth from the original dollar saver, which if they now wanted to go out and acquire those assets, they'd be forced to pay a higher price. That means they've been robbed by inflation effectively. And so printing money is like amending that list. It's a corruption of the ledger of private property rights, if you will. It's 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 uh, disintegrating the relationship between owners and their assets, or, or you could say owners and their net worth, for instance. And Bitcoin, again, as standing in stark contrast to all of that, is an uninflatable, confiscation-resistant, free market-based money. And this provides users much stronger property rights than inflatable, confiscatable, and deauthorizable fiat currencies. Deauthorizable meaning that you can literally turn the money off. Uh, there was a, a, an example of the 500 rupee banknote in India just being turned off overnight. Uh, and that's a real possibility here too. You know, at any time, governments can, or not even governments, any legal body can seize the assets in your bank account, can freeze them. You could even, uh, and it's it's a remote possibility, but it's possible, they could just deauthorize, say, the physical $100 bill at some point, and it just no longer be legal tender. Uh, all of these things are risk that are embedded in fiat currency. And Bitcoin is the purely alternative transparent, purely alternative, I'm sorry, the purely transparent alternative to the opacity of central banking. So we get this beacon of light just out competing this industry that's purposefully shrouded in darkness, right? People are seeing the proverbial light when it comes to Bitcoin and they're saying, huh, well, maybe I don't want to hold my life savings in this asset that has all these laden risk. Maybe I'll choose to hold it in this thing that I can see what it is top to bottom, nothing is hidden, uh, and I know with a high degree of confidence what its supply is today and will be into the future, much more than you know with any other asset, especially fiat currency. And I think once properly understood, it's that, that superior visibility or transparency of Bitcoin inescapably enhances its believability, right? As we said earlier, if if you can see and understand the processes that lead to an outcome, you're much more likely to deem that outcome trustworthy, right? Or that decision trustworthy, whatever it may be, because you understand how it was formulated. And so once you see Bitcoin in this way, it's something like you can't unsee it. And this is the experience of a lot of people falling into the Bitcoin rabbit hole. When you, <laughs> It's quite the bitter pill to swallow that the most desirable asset in the world today, the US dollar, is also the biggest scam perhaps in human history, right? It's a giant pyramid scheme that's used to steal from you all the time. That's a real hard thing to reconcile, right? This giant pyramid scheme, most desirable asset in the world. So something is wrong here. 
And when you start to see that, how wrong that something is, and you start to see Bitcoin as kind of the opposite or the escape valve from that scam, uh, it leaves a mark to say the least. And people end up going down this rabbit hole for years and years and years like myself. So, and as Ray said, this is another excerpt from his book. He says, having nothing to hide relieves stress and builds trust. And transparency and reliability are the essence of Bitcoin's utility as money. That's really it. It just never stops working and it always does what it says it will do. It just runs the code exactly as it is. Nothing is hidden, no surprises. Um, and it's truly unique in that its supply is absolutely predictable and absolutely scarce, as we talked about earlier. So I think Bitcoin is the most credible money in the world. I guess you could call it a credible monetary policy. I still don't like policy because it's opt-in. It's not being policed, right? It's not being enforced. But if we're going to call it that, we could say Bitcoin is the most credible monetary policy in human history, outcompeting the least trustworthy monetary policies in history, which are fiat currency. All right, you just simply... The only thing you know about fiat currency with a high degree of assurance is that they're going to zero over time because all the incentives are pointed that direction and the history of all fiat currencies has trended that direction. So Bitcoin, you know, it's rapidly gaining a track record superior to central banks across all dimensions. Uh, it's more reliable, it's more predictable, it's more auditable, it's more cost effective to run, right? I want to talk about Bitcoin being this open source software code Imagine how much, and even considering all the energy going into mining, take that and compare it to central banking, right? Wars, taxation, inflation, corruption. How much is this costing the world relative to Bitcoin mining, right? I promise you that it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's barely even a comparison. And Bitcoin is it thereby... Its very existence is eroding the believability of central bankers, which is in shorter and shorter supply with every dollar printed. I mean, almost everything these guys and girls say is utter bullshit at this point. Uh, inflation's been transitory now for two and a half years. Uh, going off the gold standard was a temporary measure 51 years ago. Um, it's just... A lot of bullshit and it's it's refreshing to see something like bitcoin that just does what it says it will do and nothing else right it doesn't even talk which is nice too it just does what it says it's going to do now i'd like to tell you about our sponsor crowd health crowd health is a bitcoin enabled alternative to legacy health insurance now let's face it legacy health insurance is an absolute scam nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian chris rock insurance you got to have some insurance. You got to, there's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> like, I give a company some money in case shit happens. <laughs> now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. 
So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy to use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art wallet software. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Masterworks. Masterworks gives you access to the fine art market at more affordable price points. They do this by offering you fractional shares in their $500 million portfolio of fine art. Now, fine art is an alternative asset class, and historically, it's been a great performer and a really good hedge against inflation. Most investors typically hold anywhere from 2 to 10% of their assets in an asset like fine art. To sign up or learn more, go to masterworks.com and use promo code BREEDLOVE. Now, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. And with all of that said, this brings us to the third formulaic element of Ray's idea meritocracy, which is the principle of believability weighted decision making. Now, I'll read a quote here from Ray's book. He writes, when you're responsible for a decision, compare the believability weighted decision making of the crowd to what you believe, unquote. Now, if we look at fiat currency in terms of believability, the best performing central bank fiat currency today is the British pound. And it's only lost about 99.5% of its value in its roughly 320 year history. That's the best performer. Um, when it comes to maintaining purchasing power across time, historically, nothing is more believable than gold. Like gold has been, again, the premier asset, the free market money. Uh, a fine man's suit has cost one ounce of gold for like a hundred years. There's other uh, comparisons about the cost of beef and gold has been constant for many hundreds of years or a suit of armor before that. Like it's been a very honest, hard money uh, and therefore very believable, right? People trust the value of gold uh, independent of uh, a lot of other assets and promises that might be floating around. And the implementation of fiat currency, oh, uh, one more point there. So 
price of a fine man's suit stays constant in gold terms. Obviously, it's skyrocketed in dollar terms. And that's because the implementation of fiat currency is offering limited to no assurances to its users that their wealth will be protected from confiscation, censorship, inflation, or counterfeiting. Inflation and counterfeiting are the same thing, by the way. It's just two indistinguishable terms. Uh, actually, something I said that became pretty famous about that. Inflation is legal counterfeiting. Counterfeiting is criminal inflation. There's no mechanical difference between the two phenomena. There's only a legal one, uh, just a, a desig desi designation difference. And so even if you believe in central banking, like in your heart of hearts, you believe in central banking, you would be really hard pressed to, de to defend the believability of central bankers. Um, they just simply have not, their words have not matched their actions. Uh, the Federal Reserve is charged with maximizing employment and stabilizing prices. And again, per Mises' prediction, the boom and bust business cycle has worsened since the inception of the Federal Reserve, and especially so after going off the gold standard in 1971. So, as Ray says, he writes in his book, think about people's believability, which is a function of their capabilities and their willingness to say what they think. Keep their track records in mind, unquote. In terms of capabilities, central banks have irrigated themselves virtually unlimited latitude to manipulate the supply and price of fiat currency in pursuit of politically determined ends. They have exercised these privileges based on largely undisclosed criteria and are notorious for their veiled communication styles. They're not saying what they mean, typically, is what I'm trying to say. In other words, central bank bankers seem quite unwilling to say what they think, and their decision-making criteria are shrouded in falsehood. We just don't know what the actual motivations for their decisions and actions are. Uh, we can infer them from the economic nature of the system, uh, and that's really largely what I'm trying to do here. So in regard to track records, central bankers likely hold the world record for the most abysmal performance in history. They've caused multiple waves of fiat currency devaluation and unemployment during their reign over money. Uh, and central banking, you know, there's a great book on this called Layered Money by Nick Batia. And he goes through a very insightful analysis on the history of money, but really focusing on the inception of the, the central bank, which started, I believe, in the 1600s. So this is just a like 500 year um, institutional reality we've been dealing with. And since reputation is not something that can be printed and it must be earned through honest work, it's not surprising that central banks have struggled <laughs> to gain a good reputation as their business model is built on bullshit and deception, right? The whole thing, top to bottom, they're telling you that managing and monopolizing the money supply is for your own benefit while they're simultaneously robbing you blind in broad daylight all the time. Like it's a completely false, fictitious, bullshit-laden institution. And another way to maybe frame this 
this concept of believability is just by setting facts versus opinions. Um, opinions are much more like soft money, right? They can, they can be easily diluted and distorted like politics, your political views, um, he said, she said, right? There's all this, this um, gossip and things like that. Like th- these are not, these are not facts. These are, this is talk, this is opinion, people just sharing things. Where a fact, you know, something more like E equals MC squared. You can't, I mean, argue about it, opine on it all you want, but uh, it, it is a formula about a physical reality that we have discovered that is essentially inarguable until another, you know, greater formula or theory comes along. And even when those greater theories come along, like when Einstein came along and said, hey, Newton was right, but he's only right at this resolution of analysis. There's a deeper resolution here, and that's where he got into the theory of relativity and whatnot. Newton's laws of physics, they still are true in a sense that at a certain level of resolution, yeah, they're they're true and they make sense. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, so on and so forth. But it doesn't explain uh, the higher resolution depiction of reality that that Einstein gave us with something like E equals MC squared. So these facts, right, they don't really go anywhere. They're pretty hard and stable. They don't sway with politics or opinions, right? You're not going to get a new government that makes E equal MC squared illegal and then it goes away. Like they might make it illegal, but that just probably means the government's going to go away, not the formula. Um, And so I think facts, opinions are much more like soft money, fiat currency. Facts are much more like hard money, like gold or Bitcoin, in that they are rooted in scientific realities. And in the case of gold, those scientific realities are chemistry, physics. You know, you can't, it's hard to make gold. We can do it in a lab now, but we can't do it uh, inexpensively enough to counterfeit it. And in the case of Bitcoin, you know, these scientific realities are mathematics, thermodynamics, elliptic curve cryptography, things like this. And so the question I'd like to, to put forth to Ray here is like, do we really believe the largest market in the world is best governed by opinion? or fact, right? Do we want a factual basis to money or do we want a whimsical opinion-based foundation to the most important market in the world, which is money? And so in that respect, I think buying Bitcoin is kind of like buying a put option on central banker bullshit, which is to say uh, a put option is the right to sell. So it's like, you could say, by buying Bitcoin, you're going long facts and short opinions. You're just betting on facts, basically. And um, yeah, I just think maybe that's a good way to to frame the believability piece, is that facts tend to be more believable than opinions. Uh, Sounds so obvious to say that we obviously uh, don't act on on those words all the time. So... I've been beating up on central bankers a lot. I want to explain why. The reason central bankers cannot be believed, and where I want to connect this to the Tlubian concept of skin in the game, central bankers cannot be believed because they don't have skin in the game. 
Taleb sums up skin in the game nicely when he says, don't tell me what you think, just show me what's in your portfolio. It's a beautiful little phrase. And regardless of what they say or think, central bankers have been stuffing their portfolios with gold. As they debase the currency, they print more dollars, they flood the market with with inflation and, and all the consequences that it causes, they are at the same time accumulating gold. So that's all you really need to know. That's all you need. Like I can say all this stuff, you know, we can talk a lot, but the actions of central bankers, they're selling you soft money and they're buying hard money. So what does that tell you? Ask yourself. Now, money, which is the largest and most critical market in the world, simply cannot evolve without practitioners or market participants that are subjected to real world consequences and trade-offs in real time, right? Their decisions have to mean something. There has to be the possibility of loss. Otherwise, our actions are meaningless, right? If If you walk a tightrope across the Grand Canyon, but there's a big safety net below it, then who who cares, right? There's no risk of loss. You haven't done anything interesting, really. Now remove the safety net and do it. Now that's something that's quite uh, quite the performance, right? You took a major risk of loss uh, to accomplish something meaningful. And since central, central bankers do not face the consequences of their actions, they suffer from the agency problem, which is a conflict of interest inherent to any organization where one party is expected to act in the other in another party's best interest but is not exposed to the proper balance of incentives and disincentives to do so so again back to the robert rubin trade right he is charged with maximizing shareholder value and his stock options, he has, he has incentives to do that, but he doesn't have disincentives to prevent destruction of shareholder value. So what does he do? He makes a lot of risky bets, stuffs the, the bank's portfolio full of them that he doesn't expect will blow up until after his tenure. <laughs> so he gets paid on all the upside, the, the illusory upside that he creates, and then when he removes himself and the, the investments go bad, he's not subjected to any of the losses that he himself created. That's an agency problem. That agency problem exists because Robert Rubin does not have skin in the game, right? So that system that he was involved in uh, suffers as a result of that imbalance of incentives and disincentives. So quite simply, if you lack skin in the game, then you're not believable, right? I don't care what you think necessarily. I care what's in your portfolio, because what's in your portfolio is what you are exposed to. It's what you have taken your life energy, your wealth, and put it into these positions, knowing that if you're right, you benefit. If you're wrong, you suffer. Right? So that action of portfolio construction tells me so much more about you than your opinions. It's effectively your facts, right? Actions speak louder than words. We say this all the time. Why? Because action is a fact. I actually did something. Words are just words. I can say things. I can, they're very low cost to produce, kind of like fiat currency. So I can espouse a bunch of bullshit and not do anything. But when I act, that means I have actually done something. And that's why, that's why skin in the game matters to believability, ultimately. And 
I think this explains too why ancient Roman architects were required, in many places were required by law to stand beneath their monolithic arches as the scaffolding was removed, oftentimes with their family. So they would spend years creating these, these giant stone arches, you know, supported by the scaffolding. And then when it was time to remove the scaffolding and see if uh, the architect had done his job, which is to make a sustainable structure, he had skin in the game, like the ultimate skin in the game, that he was standing beneath that unscaffolded arch, oftentimes with his family. So if he's wrong, he's dead. Right now, that is a balance of incentives and disincentives that he gets paid if he does it properly, and if he does it improperly, he dies. That's serious skin in the game. Now, that deadly disincentive to malperformance worked wonders. Surprise, surprise. Some of those arches uh, constructed nearly 2,000 years ago are still standing today. So more than can be said for a lot of our modern fiat architecture. And if only we had a system where central bankers were subjected to the devastation that they inflict on economies should their decision-making not work out, then perhaps the world would still be on a gold standard and the dire need for Bitcoin would be dampened. But that's simply not the case. We've had leaders leading us from the back for many decades now. You know, These decision-makers make decisions in a centralized area like Washington, D.C., and the, the consequences of those decisions echo out into the rest of the world, um, affecting many, many, many millions of lives, uh, often negatively, while the, those who are making the decisions are insulated via the fiat currency uh, production complex. So Without skin in the game, your interests are inherently conflicted and you suffer from an agency problem anytime you're managing other people's money. Uh, this is why most asset allocators, like smart money professional investors, they if they're going to invest in a hedge fund, they want to work with a hedge fund that has a substantial amount of their own net worth tied up in the fund. Right? This means the hedge fund manager has a lot of skin in the game. He has an incentive to perform, but also a disincentive to malperform. That's very important. That's why smart money uh, invests with guys like that. And it's also why central planning always causes moral hazard because its overlords are not exposed to the depravity they're inflicting on their people. You're making decisions on behalf of others. And if you're wrong, well, they suffer and you're fine. And if you're right, well, then maybe you could benefit, right? You get reelected or get more uh, funding, whatever it may be. So, when we look at something like Bitcoin, though, all market participants have skin in the game. And this makes all the difference. Node operators are incentivized to maintain the rules. Uh, they're disincentivized from trying to move to a rule set that no one else is running. Right? There's a, there's a network effect or social cohesion occurring there. Miners are incentivized to sanctify the Bitcoin ledger efficiently. They are disincentivized from propagating dishonest transactions or fraudulent transactions. It actually costs them money if they do that. Developers uh, are incentivized to expend their time and effort supporting Bitcoin as an open source project. They're disincentivized um, from going to other projects, really. I mean, that, that one's a little more murky because I guess you could argue that shit coins are somewhat of an incentive to abdicate, but shitcoins over time tend towards zero, so that, that's a very short-term 
impact. And then Bitcoin holders expend real resources to acquire Bitcoin, right? Whether this is a miner or whether this is someone that bought it, you expend real resources to acquire it. You didn't print the Bitcoin uh, like central bankers do with, with units of fiat currency. So I would argue that all these Bitcoin market participants have skin in the game, just like those ancient Roman architects standing beneath their newly unscaffolded arches, right? This is why the system works in a long-term sustainable way, because there is a constellation of balanced incentives and disincentives integrated throughout the network. And really that's the brilliance of Satoshi is that he's just made the ideal balance of this, this incentive machine um, that causes it to operate uh, extremely well. And, you know, I guess in theory, at least, because we're only 13 years into Bitcoin with uh, a lot of longevity as well. So with all of that said, we're going to go back to Ray's formula for the idea of meritocracy and its free market equivalent to pull this all together. And so as Ray gave us, we have the idea of meritocracy equals radical truth plus radical transparency plus believability-weighted decision-making. Now, this is equivalent to my free market formula that I described as free markets equals truthful price signals, transparent and reliable rule of law, private property rights, and hard money, plus skin-in-the-game-weighted decision-making. Based on what we've learned so far, we can translate these equations once again into central banking and Bitcoin versions, where we have central banking as a market institution equals untruthful price signals, right? We're debasing currency, distorting prices. Uh, in most centrally banked economies, we still have transparent and reliable rule of law because the rule of law is independent of the central bank. Uh, but as, as Rothschild once said, give me the power to issue a nation's currency. I care not who makes its laws. So although that's great, we have somewhat strong, reliable rule of law. Um, we have significantly marginalized private property rights, as we described. Violation is everywhere and always. I'm sorry, inflation is everywhere and always a violation of private property rights. So in a central bank system, you have marginalized private property rights at best and soft money, right? We don't have hard money, we have soft money. Money that's depreciating over time, all the time. And finally, we have agency problem-weighted decision-making. Rather than having skin in the game, central bankers are the opposite, right? They have the agency problem. And so that inhibits their ability to act in the interest of dollar users, right? Again, focusing on the Fed here. So, we could take that whole formula and compare it and contrast it to Bitcoin. In Bitcoin, we have absolutely truthful price signals, right? The denominator cannot be changed. So all the information that propagates through Bitcoin would be pure signal, zero noise. We have transparent and reliable rule of law, extremely strong private property rights. It's actually a step up in the strength of private property rights because it's more difficult to separate 
a Bitcoiner from their private keys than it is to separate any other asset holder from any other form of property in the world. And we have an absolutely hard money. All right, Bitcoin has perfected the scarcity of money. As we said, gold was relatively scarce. Bitcoin is the first fixed supply asset of 21 million units. And Bitcoin has skin in the game weighted decision making. So all the decisions inside of the network are executed by individuals who have skin in the game. They're both they're properly incentivized and disincentivized. Incentivized to make uh, good choices for the system and disincentivized to make poor choices for the system. So clearly only Bitcoin is 100% consistent with the equation for free markets, whereas central banking is almost entirely inconsistent with it. And since the free market equation is equivalent to the idea meritocratic equation, we may deduce Bitcoin is completely consistent with Ray's formulation of the idea meritocracy and central banking is not. So to go back to Ray's original assessment of Bitcoin and assuming all those principles in his book are stated forthrightly, I would ask Ray, <laughs> How can you possibly be a non-believer or detractor in Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin is both one of the purest expressions of an idea of meritocracy and it is uh, at the same time a pure expression of a free market. And as you said, Ray, quote, when someone says, I believe X, ask them, what data are you looking at? What reasoning are you using to draw your conclusion? Unquote. So let me ask you, Ray, after Bitcoin's impeccable performance for over a decade, uh, it's had over 99.98% uptime. It's never been hacked. It's evolved into the most secure computing network in the world. Uh, it's storing, I think, we're, we're what, $300 billion in market cap today, maybe $200 billion, and it's cleared well over $1 trillion of transactions in total since inception. I'd like to ask, Ray, what data and reasoning are you looking, <laughs> looking at to draw your conclusion about Bitcoin? Because it doesn't seem to be consistent with anything that you have written in your book, Principles. And my guess is, Ray, that like many smart people, you've disregarded Bitcoin at the outset, like many of us did. And in accordance with one of your favorite principles, I implore you to keep an open mind about Bitcoin and perhaps you will see it, you'll come to see it as an embodiment of open-mindedness itself, which takes us to the next principle in Ray's paradigm, the principle of open-mindedness.